Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to abide in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Hello, my name is Paul Coulter and I'm Head of Ministry Operations in Living Leadership. This is the first in a series of five episodes exploring aspects of pastoral care, and I hope to help you have confidence in how you can make your pastoral care gospel-shaped. In Living Leadership, we're committed to helping the Church fulfil the Great Commission. We believe that pastoral care is a vital part of that calling, and we want to help equip pastoral caregivers who understand their ministry as part of the work of disciple-making. That's why we talk about gospel-shaped pastoral care and why we've developed a comprehensive training course for people who'll play a significant role in pastoral care. And that's going to be available online from next spring. So to find out more about that course, please visit livingleadership.org slash pastoral care. In this series of five podcast episodes, we're going to think about five M's of pastoral care, motivation, methods, means, margins and mechanics. So in the first three episodes we're going to think about each of the persons of the Godhead in relation to pastoral care. Now it should be pointed out to the attentive listener that I'm expanding in these three parts on ideas that I briefly introduced in an episode in January 2020. That episode was entitled Keeping Care Pastoral. In this first episode, we're going to think about motivation in relation to the Father. If we want to be faithful pastoral caregivers, we'll need to find our motivation in God. Now, when we think of the motivation that we ought to have in caring for others, we need to start with the heart of God the Father. The heart of pastoral care is the heart of God. Now, I'm going to suggest that we've got to test our motivations as we care for other people. And if we're entirely honest with ourselves, our motivations are almost always a mixture of self-seeking and selflessness. And that's because our character is deeply flawed by sin. Now, I actually think this is one of the most neglected issues in leadership, not just in pastoral care. In many contexts, it seems that we proceed on the assumption that everyone is basically nice and no one's motives should be questioned. As one pastor told me recently, if he questioned the motives of some people in his leadership team, he would expect to receive resignations. And I've seen it in leadership gatherings in the parachurch setting too, where it feels like if you even approach the issue in as British a way as possible, you know, the indirect approach that starts, I wonder, dear brother, if you might have considered that just maybe the flesh might have had a part in your decision making you would lose friendships or find yourself off the invitation list. And that just isn't good enough. When we operate at that level, we show that we don't really believe the gospel. The gospel tells us that we are, in Martin Luther's famous Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, at the same time, both righteous and sinners. We've been justified, declared righteous by God on the basis of Christ's atoning sacrifice. We stand righteous in Christ. Indeed, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is a a wonderful truth that we affirm. 
But we shouldn't let that realization blind us to the fact that we remain sinners. The spirit is at work in us, but the flesh continues to pull us in the direction of sin and death. The spirit is forming the character of Christ in us, but his work is not complete yet. And the result is that our motives are often, perhaps always, mixed. Now, our actions flow from our character. The same is true of God. His actions flow from his character. He loves because he is love. He acts justly because he is just. He shows kindness because he is kind. But unlike human beings, God cannot be or think one thing and do or say another. He is perfect in integrity. So if we're going to take up the biblical exhortation to care for others, we've got to be in touch with God's heart for people and grow to be godly, that is, godlike in character. In living leadership, we're convinced that character is absolutely foundational to leadership. And that's certainly true in pastoral care. We need to be honest about the potentially unworthy motivations that we can have in caring for each other or for others. The New Testament warns people who would be shepherds of God's flock against the wrong motivation of dishonest gain. It's there in the pastoral epistles and in Paul's warning in Acts 20. And typically we might think of that in terms of financial gain. And of course, we might follow that by saying that we've guarded against it by refusing to receive gifts from people in need or by simply depending on the fact that salaries for Christian workers in the UK are never going to make us rich anyway. But dishonest gain can take other more subtle forms. The gain that is dishonest may be the praise of others or the sense of self-worth that we gain from being needed by others. And when those take over in pastoral care, we can be tempted to keep people dependent on us rather than helping them to maturity. We can act in ways that are more about our craving for recognition than the genuine needs of others. We might shy away from saying things that are challenging to the other person because we want them to like us and to speak well of us. We won't engage in sacrificial giving of ourselves because that's too costly and it doesn't really lead to a lot of popularity anyway. So we need to test our motivations repeatedly in light of God's character. So what can we learn from God about the motivation for pastoral care? Well, what does the gospel tell us about God? It reveals, of course, so much to us about his character, but it, it shows us his providential care. Let me explain what I mean by that. God is sovereign. I think most of us would recognise that term. That truth, of course, it's written across the scriptures in the examples of thousands of characters, in hundreds of declarations of praise and in the one great story of redemption that unfolds across its pages. God reigns over his creation. But we need to know that God's reign is not only characterised by power and authority. It's also a reign of love and tenderness. God is both transcendent above and greater than anything we can imagine, but also imminent and involved in the lives of people. 
and God exercises his sovereignty for the sake of the people he's redeeming from sin. So we see in the Bible the wonderful ways in which he works out his sovereign purpose in the lives of individuals, even as he weaves every one of those threads into one beautiful tapestry of his eternal purposes. God isn't merely concerned with the big picture. He cares for each individual. And the word that best describes that, although it isn't often used, at least not as often as the word sovereignty nowadays, is God's providence. That word reminds us that his sovereign purposes are providential. He provides for his people as a father. His care is tender and intimate. He knows our needs and circumstances. He understands our weaknesses and temptations. He feels our pain and our anxieties. And he works out his purpose for our good. And the wonderful gospel truth is that this knowledge of God, the knowledge that God has of us, is not merely from the outside. He doesn't just observe us and listen to us and then kind of draw conclusions about what seems to be going on beneath the surface. He knows our hearts. This inner knowledge that God has of us is, is based on three principles which we can relate to the Trinity. Thinking of the Father, we recognise that God is omniscient. Nothing is hidden from him. As the opening verses of Psalm 139 express it, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You discern my thoughts from afar, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Thinking of the incarnate Son, we also realise that in him, God experienced the life that we live. So that his knowledge is not merely theoretical, but experiential. As Hebrews 2.18 puts it, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And then thinking of the indwelling spirit, we realise that God's knowledge of us is not merely based on perfect insight or past experience during the incarnation, but on present intimacy. In Romans 8, 26 to 27, the Apostle Paul speaks of the spirit's ministry in these terms. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God's knowledge of us is complete, experiential and intimate. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So how does this understanding apply to us as we care for others? Well, from God's providential care, we understand that we need to know people well and we need to demonstrate to them how precious they are as individuals to God. And we also seek insights from the Spirit to help us understand the other person, the one who knows them from the inside. But at the same time, we recognise our limitations, that we are not God and we do not have his complete and intimate knowledge. So what is the quality that we need to have? We're not the providential carer, the sovereign one. 
Now, in, in books about pastoral care, it's commonplace to read that the key quality that we need is empathy. That's a word that comes from the Greek en, meaning in, and pathos, meaning suffering or feeling. And helpfully, empathy goes beyond pity. Pity looks at people from a distance and feels bad for them, but empathy seeks to feel with the person in their experience, in fact, to enter into their experience and experience the same pain they're feeling, putting oneself in their shoes. So thinking about empathy and pastoral care, we can rightly seek to open ourselves to others in a way that's not self-protective or distant. But I want to suggest that empathy isn't actually the best quality for us to aim for. And it's interesting that psychologists have recognised in recent years that empathy has limitations. There's a growing body of literature about that. But I think those limitations that psychologists recognise are grounded in what we've already said about the person of God. Because only God can be truly empathetic. Let me explain. For us, empathy has three limitations. Firstly, it can overwhelm us. In a crisis, decisive and swift action is often necessary. And if you're overwhelmed by emotion, you may be paralysed along with the person you want to support. A degree of emotional distance, so to speak, is helpful. And that doesn't mean that you're unloving or hard, but simply that in this moment, your role is to be strong where the other person is weak. In pastoral care, you cannot carry the burdens of everyone you care for. You can't do it in those moments of crisis, but you also can't do it on an ongoing basis. You're not big enough. Your shoulders aren't broad enough for that. Only God's are. And so you're going to have to maintain your own emotional health through supportive relationships, wise oversight, mutual accountability within a team, and above all, deep dependence upon God, so that you can have strength to help others. But a second limitation of empathy is not just that it can overwhelm us, but it can mislead us, because in reality, we can never say, I know exactly how you're feeling. That's one of the worst things that you can say to someone. Every experience is different and every person is unique, reacting differently to circumstances. When we empathise, we are really imagining what we think we would feel like or perhaps remembering what we felt like in a similar situation. But if we rely on empathy, we can make misjudgments. We may think a person is overreacting because we think we would cope better or take an action that worked for us. I mean, we might suggest to them an action that worked for us, even when it might not be best for them. Empathy may be more reliable if we've walked a similar journey to the one the person's experiencing. But even then, it's imprecise. It's, it's often deeply unhelpful for people to be told, I know what you're feeling. It's more honest and less threatening to say, I can only imagine how you must feel. Or simply to recount how we felt at a similar time in our own lives and allow the person to find resonances with what they're experiencing. Empathy may blind us to needs and perspectives that are different from what we expected and can only be understood through careful listening. 
So empathy can overwhelm us, it may mislead us, but it can also misdirect. And what I mean by that is that when a person we care for needs to make a decision about how to respond to a perceived wrong, they need clarity to make a moral judgment. Intense feelings tend to cloud our ability to make clear judgments. And so if you want to provide guidance or advice to people, you will be best served by being less emotional. And empathy is, is prejudiced. Empathy favours people who are like us or close to us. And because of that, it can encourage favouritism or bias, which are enemies of faithful pastoral guidance. So if we're not going to develop empathy, if we're going to recognise that only God is truly empathetic because of his omniscience, because of Christ's incarnation and because of the indwelling spirit, what is the quality that we need? Well, before we talk about that, I just want to say that the recognition that we can never truly empathise is not a negative statement. In fact, it's a very helpful thing for us to realise. It's very helpful for us because it means that we can care for people even when we can't empathise with them, when we can't understand how they're feeling, when they're going through something that we have never experienced. Now, of course, if you've experienced something, you may have a particular burden to care for people who are going through that thing. But don't ever think that just because you haven't gone through it, you can't help. On the other hand, the recognition that empathy is not really possible is helpful for the suffering person because it encourages them to turn to God for comfort, to know that unlike me as his representative who, who is so limited in my understanding, he has complete knowledge and wisdom, that Christ is their high priest who has experienced every temptation and was without sin. And that the Holy Spirit indwells them if they're a believer and can enable them to understand. And even when they don't understand their own situation, as we saw in Romans 8, he, he intercedes for them according to God's will. So we can't empathise with complete accuracy. We've got to recognise the limitations and dangers of empathy. But we can commit to developing the right attitude for pastoral care, which I believe is godly compassion. Compassion has a Latin root. Empathy was a Greek word. Compassion has a Latin root from calm, meaning with, and pati, meaning to suffer. Compassion is not just concern for others from a distance. It's not pity. Rather, it includes a motivation to go into action and so to do something about the other person's situation. It's tender love for another person that derives from identification with their suffering. But it doesn't have the pitfall of empathy that thinks that we can understand them from the inside. It knows that we walk with them, but that we're not in their situation. Compassion acknowledges our weakness and God's sufficiency. It motivates us to mobilise our resources in appropriate ways in response to needs. Compassion doesn't cloud judgment or paralyse us. It motivates us to seek what is genuinely best for the other person in relationship to God. Compassion allows us to care for people we can't empathise with. 
either because we can't generate a feeling of empathy for them or because we haven't been through circumstances similar to theirs. Now, in the next episode, we'll think about the methods of gospel-shaped pastoral care and we'll be looking to Jesus as our example. But as we prepare to do that, we realise that his approach was driven by compassion, which flowed from his constant communion with his Father. This kind of compassion is the only worthy motivation for care for others. It's not generated in us by our own efforts, but by the transforming work of God. It grows in us as a fruit of the Spirit as we abide in Christ. We learn it from our Father as we rest in him, trust in him and imitate him, growing into his likeness. And so we need to be honest as we engage and care for others. Our motivations will often, as I've said, maybe always be mixed. We cannot claim to be completely pure, but we can depend on our Father who is pure and from him we can learn integrity. So let your heart be captivated once again by the compassion of the Father. Let's pray as we come towards a close. Father, would you melt our hearts of stone? Forgive us for our unworthy motivations in ministry. Purify us from our pride, selfishness and craving for the dishonest gain of approval and praise. Captivate us again with your compassion. We thank you for your amazing grace towards us in Christ. Continue your work of forming us in his likeness and may your spirit lead us in compassionate care for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to explore these issues further and develop your heart, skills and wisdom for pastoral care, we'd love to welcome you into our gospel-shaped pastoral care course, which is delivered online on Monday mornings from March to June. To find out more and to register for the next run of the course, please visit livingleadership.org slash pastoral care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope that what we've considered today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you were encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving a review on your podcast app to help others find us. If you want to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media platform at Living Leaders or visit our website www.livingleadership.org where you'll also find more support and resources to help you abide in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. God bless.